One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to a new season of The Big Interview and the first Q&A of the campaign. My name is Martin Gregg and I'm joined by Graham Hunter, host of The Big Interview, and our guest for these shows, La Liga TV's Pete Jensen. Our questions are from our socials who support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Thank you to everyone who submitted a question and a big welcome to a couple of new socials, Neil Johnson and Aaron Pete. Thanks for signing up, guys. Before we start part one, Graham why don't you just kind of set the scene for us as to exactly where we find you this fine morning? Yeah, let's talk about sex. Wait, 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 wait. No, wait, let's talk about sex debt. Um, bit of salt and pepper there for you. Because I'm in the city where <clears throat> the obsession with Real Madrid winning six trophies this season begins. It's the... I, I don't know if it's just a hot topic in Spain, <clears throat> the idea that Real Madrid, because they've won the Champions League can now set about trying to do something they've never done before because only Bayern Munich and Barcelona have taken all six trophies available to them. For anybody who's not been paying attention, uh, the Rumbelows Cup doesn't count anymore. It should. It's wrong. I know. Let's set our stake out at the beginning of the season. But if you exclude the Rumbelows Cup now and the Milk Cup, then it's, for a Spanish team, it's La Liga, the Copa del Rey, the Spanish Super Cup, European Super Cup, that's four, plus the Champions League, that's five, and the World Club Cup. So because you're European champion, you know, you, you, you qualify for two of those that in a normal season you can't get to. And whether it's the most relevant question about Real Madrid or not, it's definitely the thing that's between the eyebrows of every Real Madrid fan, every Madrid-obsessed person in the media. And this is double jeopardy because... By the time some people listen to this, given that we're recording on the morning of the European Super Cup, the sex debt might, might be gone. I don't think it will be. I think that Real Madrid start this little holy grail quest of theirs against an Eintracht Frankfurt team, which when you think about the importance of Hinteregger, Rangers fans will recognise the name immediately, but anybody who watched Eintracht Frankfurt eliminate West Ham or... He had a less of a role there, but certainly if they watched them eliminate Football Club Barcelona, Hinterecker was one of those guys who, who, even at 29, looked a little bit slow. You wondered about his actual playing ability, but he just was had a magnetic um, oomph about the leadership, about every ball seemed to be drawn towards him. The fans adored him. He's gone back to Austria. 
uh, Kostic isn't playing tonight because he's about to leave to Venice. And therefore, because Real Madrid are in great nick, your man Antonio Pintas, the 59-year-old Italian sadist, uh, so that's how the Spanish pronounce fitness coach, um, has got them in brilliant nick. And therefore, I think, you know, stage one, by the time you listen to this, I think will have probably gone Real Madrid's way. But it's interesting that the, the Spanish champions set out having clearly reinforced areas uh, and I, I'm not sure, I don't think this has been examined all that well. When people talk about Rudiger having joined, it's like, ah, well, maybe Alaba can go to left back or they can rotate the central defenders without there having to be too much of a, a worry about, you know, does Nacho do it or does uh, Vallejo, who just isn't very good on the ball, can he do it, etc. So Rudiger's you know, employment on a free contract is, is, is a useful piece of business. A winning footballer, very aggressive, physically good, height. These are the things you want in a, in a dominant defence. The addition of Chalmany is the addition of the, 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 the first choice central midfielder for the world champions. That, that's all very good. And people talk about those things without, I think, going to the idea that it's not just an experienced centre-half and a young up-and-coming midfielder. Madrid got pulverised by a lot of teams last season, despite winning La Liga and the Champions League. And Courtois was faced with far, far too many all-or-nothing saves, as were, you know, there were quite a number of all-or-nothing interceptions from Alaba or Militao, because Madrid didn't cope particularly well about being robbed and then hit on the counter. And if you look at where those two positions are, centre-midfield, centre-defence... In theory now, there's maybe a little bit of pace. There's maybe a little bit more defensive control. So it's not just about age profile or what one of them cost or the way in which Telmeni can at 22 can can flourish over four or five years at Madrid. There's a clear idea to address one of their principal San Andreas flaws. And if the team that wins those two big trophies gets better, then hallelujah. But everybody forgets that in Kylian Mbappe, this guy who's got far more than a goal per game in 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 terms of goal scored and assists in, in nearly 300 matches for PSG. They'd actually planned to have this guy positionally. What does that do to Benzema and Vinicius? Does it allow you to rotate, particularly Benzema who's 35 in December? Plus, you add in literally a torrent of goals and assists and he's not there. And they haven't really in any way signed to try and replace that loss. So that's fascinating. You know, the, the, whatever Ancelotti, Luka Modric said it the other day. Yeah, we, we all expected him to come, so he didn't come up. We're going to do crucify him. He's got to live with his choice. Fair enough. You, you choose what you want to, mate. But that's a really big thing to suddenly strip away, albeit that the decision was, you know, in, in late season, early summer. It's a, it's a very big thing for Madrid not only to go without, but not to try and supplant. And I don't know what Martin, you think. I don't know what the Socios think. I wonder what Pete thinks about the fact that, for my taste, in this odd season that's come up, it's not that Benzema can't potentially emulate the 50 goals he scored for club and country last season. Maybe he can. He's in such brilliant shape. And we don't have to say that age is catching up with him or injuries. But I think to go two full seasons without an out-and-out replacement goal scorer that can stand in in any situation given what Benzema is doing I see that as the absolute number one problem for Real Madrid to think about between now and the World Cup between now and January when the market opens again 
Okay boys, we've got so, so many questions on Barca from the socios this time around. Obviously the summer spending plus the issue of player registration and the specifics of the Frankie de Jong situation. I want to read out just a few kind of more more general Barca questions from some of our socios and then we can try and dig into specific areas. So here's Andy Cochran who says, Please try to explain the current situation at Barca. The season starts in a few days and they appear to be in utter turmoil. Lee Allen says, How are Barca doing this? A team supposedly close to bankruptcy are the biggest spenders in Europe. Uh, Taylor Collard, Barca have spent big this summer. Have they done so correctly in your opinion? So there's lots of jumping off points there. I, I think partly what I took from that is that maybe not everyone has followed every twist and turn of the story over the summer. So we should maybe just give them a little recap as to the exact point that we're at. I don't know, Graham, if you wanted to kind of bring us up to speed uh, in terms of like the, the where we're at right now, because the season starts in a few days. What is the situation with, with Barcelona? Oh, oh, okay, I, 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 without being contrary, Martin, I would say some of the confusion that we've heard from the socios, and there are many more than Andy or Lee than Taylor that you're going to read out as we go on, the confusion is probably because they have been following it. I, I want to point out, and I will not bite my tongue, the majority of the coverage in the UK about the situation has been fucking shambolic. Stupid, inaccurate, failing to include important details, and in some instances vindictive. Let, let nobody who's listening to this um, think that that's a defence of football club Barcelona. Although it was a different board, they're in a deep, deep hole which stems from arrogance, complacency, greed, stupidity, mistakes, no question. Barcelona are currently engaged in an enormous gamble. Possibly, in my view, one of the most enormous gambles I've ever been near to, reported on, tried to grapple with in my reporting career. That's certainly true. And it's certainly true that if, for example, there were another worldwide pandemic in the next five years and things were shut down that gamble could leave football club Barcelona ruined so there should be no question about the magnitude and I wouldn't carp if somebody said I find this morally reprehensible so all those things established in the UK there's been far too little explanation about the fact that whether you approve of it or not and whether you have the mind to grasp the finances, the fact is that by winning sponsorship from Spotify, that'll go with the stadium, that'll go with the jerseys, the fact is that by selling some television rights, by selling some um, Barca Studios rights, which is the the idea that that Barca can produce its own audiovisual products and get exceptional access, these things have been sold to financial speculators. And the fact that this has brought in cash immediately to football club Barcelona means that irrespective of their global debt, which still hovers around 1.3 billion, and irrespective of what we'll go on to talk about later, which is that there's there's financial homework to do. It's, you can't go to La Liga and say, the dog ate home, my homework, or can I have an extension? The, the, the simplest way to say it, there's financial homework to do for football club Barcelona to prove they've met La Liga's rules as a separate and easy-to-understand uh, component, Barcelona are suddenly cash-rich. And anybody you know who's gone and sought an overdraft or taken out equity in their home 
or any other comparison you want to do, you come from a situation where you're a bit nervous, you're feeling your tie a little bit tight, you borrow money, and either you apply it to the things that have got you in, you know, a little bit of, you know, stoom, stook, uh, and do the right thing, or you go out and say, listen, I've been a rotten six months, I've been in debt, I've got a couple of bucks in my pocket, i tell you what, I'm going to have a big night out before I start doing the right things. Anybody who's done any of those things can understand the concept of what's going on at Barcelona, and therefore... That's why um, Andy, Lee, Taylor, I'm decrying the amount of information that's, or the type of information that's been available in Britain and Ireland during the, the, the close season before we come to the point now where we see whether Barcelona can register the players that they bought. I, I think a good starting point is to remember why, why Barcelona are in the situation that they're in. And there are two reasons. The first reason is that they had a a president and a board who 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 um, completely mismanaged the club, overspent on on new players, overspent on wages, gave ridiculously long contracts, and the second reason is the pandemic, because no club in the world depends quite as much on football tourism as Barcelona, and that was wiped out for two seasons. Now those two things don't exist anymore. Bartomeu's gone. There are now adults in the room: Jordi Cruyff, um, Joan Laporta, Mata Aliman, and the pandemics finished at the moment and, and we have and as, and as Graham paints the worst possible scenarios that something like that happens again um, so football tourism is, is, is back and therefore there is no reason why Barcelona and we've seen how strong the, I hate to use the word brand but we've seen how strong the brand still is the fact that Rafinha didn't want to go to Chelsea he wanted to come to Barcelona Lewandowski didn't want to go to the Premier League he wanted to come to Barcelona it, it, the, the brand still sells and they are, the club is capable of getting back to the sort of close to billion revenue season on season. Therefore, Barcelona have done what any other business would do in that situation. They've gone to investors and said, look, we don't have a problem long term making money. This is a money making machine. We need money now. So you give us money now and, and, and we'll give you for the next, as, in, as is the case with the TV rights, for the next 25 years, um, you'll get you'll get twenty five percent. Is it twenty five percent of our of our TV revenue? So they've done the thing that any other business would do in that situation. It's not ideal. You don't want to have to mortgage these things uh, for the, you know, mortgage your future. But they've not really had a lot of choice. I think some at the club and 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 around the club have slightly exaggerated the alternative. They've said that there was there was no alternative. We didn't want to spend you know, uh, 10 years in in the darkness. Um, and I don't think that would have happened. I think Barcelona could have not bought anybody and they still finished second in La Liga. And, 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 and I think under Xavi, as opposed to the previous coaches, would have would have got deep into the, into the Champions League without winning it. But they've gone all in. Um, and, um, you know, sponsorship follows that. I, I don't think it's any coincidence that they had to bring the players in before they could... Um, activate these economic levers. I think I think Sixth Street wanted to see Lewandowski in a Barcelona shirt before they before they signed on the dotted line. So I think that's why players came first, and then the economic levers uh, followed. Uh, Barcelona have been as crafty as, as as they they possibly can be. I think the best story of the summer is them is them effectively trying to um, buy something from themselves and declare it as revenue because of course Barca and Sixth Street created this third company called Loxley Investment and the TV rights were then passed to Loxley Investment. Sixth Street then buy them for, 575, uh, for 517 million euros 
for 20, uh, 25 years from Loxley. Barca then pay 150 million euros to this company to buy them back in 25 years' time, and they try to declare the whole amount. They try to declare the 517 plus the 150 million that they were spending in 25 years' time to buy the rights back. And La Liga said, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, you're, you're buying from yourself here, you can't do that. And they didn't get away with that, and it's why we're in the situation that we're in now where they still don't quite have the money to register all the players. They've... Um, we're speaking on Wednesday and they've uh, they've activated this fourth lever. Um, so they've now sold, I think it's 49% of, um, of Barca Studios. Um, and they're, they're still negotiating with players to make relevant um, salary cuts to get themselves over the line. But they will get themselves over the line. Um, and, you know, they're, they're in a great position. Now, further down the line, yeah, they're, they're going to have to pay for this. But I really don't think they had any choice. It's partially the story of the <clears throat> summer for the wit, isn't it? If, if I'm not mistaken, Robin Hood was Robin of Loxley, wasn't he? And if there's, if, there, if there's any modern example of taking from the rich to give to the poor, it might be. If there's adults in the room, they seem to be in tights and green hats and carrying bows and arrows. And listen, it... It's, it's nice that it's one of the reasons that Pete's on here as our expert because it's, it's great to find dark humour in what has been a long, agonising, sometimes boring, drawn out embarrassment for La Liga because if the brand of Barcelona is very, very strong, then to, be, to, to spend month after month after month dealing with financial issues and we're going to go on and talk about, you know, bullying, contractual bullying within the club in a minute. Um, one of the things that just I, I would postscript to say is that I, I find it hard to understand anybody, whether it's a, a fan, an observer, a journalist, saying, well, you know, why are they doing this? Because they're, they're, Pete talked about football tourism and power of the brand. The quickest and most effective way to make serious money outside borrowing it is, is by finishing top four in the Champions League. They'll want to win La Liga, sure they will, but they will have the most hungry and ferocious focus on going top four or final of the Champions League this season, to the extent that, while Chabi may well ignore it, I would be shocked if there wasn't a continuous drip, drip, drip of pressure from Laporta or the, the men in grey suits downwards to Chabi saying... <clears throat> the, the weekend before a, a Champions League game, save your best player, save your best player, save your best player, make sure we win, make sure we win, make sure we go. Because now it, it's a given that in the current format of the Champions League, if you finish, I mean, if you finish even, you know, a healthy quarterfinal, never mind semi-final, you can take in over 100 million. The format's getting changed imminently for the Champions League with more games, more money. And whether Barcelona managed to achieve high finishes in the Champions League or not is now down to their their football prowess, Xavi's coaching, the opponents, luck, injuries, blah, 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 blah. But in terms of an objective, a quantifiable objective, the, the power of getting into the Champions League, finishing top four, which they had to work their little arses off last season to do, the, the, the vital nature of getting out of a Champions League group, and then hopefully... Laporte will never say that out loud going to the final two or going to the final four and then not winning it so you don't have to pay out bonuses to the players that truly is the holy grail and therefore for anybody who's either struggling to understand 
White Bus when I have I've lashed out so much money on Kessie's wages and Lewandowski's fee at you know thirty four and to thirty five I think on the day two of La Liga and you know fighting he talked about Rafinha choosing um, Barcelona over Chelsea Koundé choosing Barcelona over Chelsea all these things are about being ultra muscular in the Champions League over the next four or five years so that they can bring in revenue which obviously means gross rather than net income but revenue of four, five, six hundred million and not all of that goes immediately to, to, to paying off the short-term debt, but it changes their financial fair play as far as La Liga is concerned. If they can achieve it, it chases away these, you know, horrible dark moments that they're having in terms of can we register a new player? It it, it, it increases the brand. It, it, there's bonuses from Spotify. New sponsors come on board. I think it's really easy to comprehend what it is Barcelona are doing, and specifically why, whether it's always as easy to, to defend or whether it will come off, well, those are slightly different questions. Yeah, I mean, let, let me just chuck in another socio question here from Ian Boddy, who says, prior to the Joanne Gamper trophy match, Laporta said that Barca would register all the new signings. Is he right to be so confident? So this is obviously picking up on something that you had mentioned there, Pete, about I can imagine there's lots of... Um, high level discussions going on at the moment to try and overcome this latest obstacle about the 150 million etc you know it, the short term question is like what what kind of team are they going to field on Saturday against Rio Vallecano I think they're very close now I mean this um, this the second um, sale of the, the second chunk of Barca Studios brings them very very close I think they're about 30 million um, still short, um, and, and and they will do it. I mean, they, it, what would make everything so much easier is if is Frankie de Jong. If Frankie, de, if they can sell Frankie de Jong, and they've been trying to push him out all summer, to the extent where we know that they said to his agent, "Listen, the contract you signed you signed in October 2020 is illegal anyway, so we might rip it up. So you better leave the club now." Um, now, whether they end up managing to sell him, um, you know, we'll we'll find out over over the next three weeks. If they don't, it is going to be players like PK. PK's taken another um, another pay cut. They're trying to they're trying to do the same with with Sergi Busquets. Um, you know, we saw this in the last winter window when it it went right down to the wire in terms of of um, registering all the new arrivals, and they and they were able to do it in the end. And and I'm I'm pretty sure that these players wouldn't have come and they wouldn't have signed them had they not known. I mean, we know Laporta loves a high-stakes game, but he, not to the extent that he will he will face the embarrassment of bringing these players in and not being able to sign them. Maybe it won't happen until the end of the month with all the players, but I'm pretty sure you know it, 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 it will happen. They will register all the players. OK, it's time for a break. We'll be back in a moment with a couple more questions to complete part one of this month's Q&A. And we're back with a question from Socio Richard Cook. He says, Graham, please try to explain the registration issues and what seems to be quite scandalous treatment of Frankie de Jong. Will he be going anywhere? How would he feel sitting, awaiting his deferred wages? 
seeing big names arriving and cash being spent. I'm no financial expert, but is it steak for tea tonight, beans on toast for the rest of the month kind of thing? So, I mean, obviously, Richard's question, you guys have kind of addressed it, some parts of that already, but let's focus on the Frankie de Jong thing, because that seems to be a, a lead domino in, in the whole situation. Um, Richard's asking, um, you know, will he be going anywhere? And how will he feel about still being owed these deferred wages? If you if you want if one wants to have a snapshot explanation, Richard, all our socials actually usually don't want to settle for that. But you can summarise it really briefly. One, he doesn't want to go specifically to Manchester United, and at the moment, anywhere. Two, the entire professional history of clubs and footballers either has has one of two strains running through it. Before Bosman, clubs not letting players do what they want to do even when their contracts were run out, which was patently illegal but was accepted for a long time and Bosman changed it. Or since then, when a club wants a player out, they'll often treat that player or his agent pretty brutally in terms of what we'd all like to think of as his good human societal standards. So what happens over and over and over again is that a club will want to play it out for whatever reason and there can be a wide variety of reasons and the agent will go well no when they mean yes and then gradually after a couple of weeks the agent will go well what are you going to do are you going to pay us up the remaining two years of contract give us that 12 million and we want it net are you going to paying us the wages you owe us is, is a slightly more rare case it obviously happens or a club might say in those negotiations, if they think they're in a the power seat, well, we're not going to play you. You'll sit on the bench. For example, there's a mini version of this going on with uh, Dennis Suarez and Mourinho, the chairman of Celta, and or the owner, really, effectively, majority shareholder of Celta. That, you know, an identical, we think we've got the power, no, I have, is going on there. And a club can obviously, in the case of, I remember there was a, Damn it, the, the names escaped me, but there was a Croat when I was um, beginning writing about European football. I think it was Robert Yarny, um, who Madrid wanted out, he wouldn't go, and they just didn't register him to play. Nothing illegal about that. It was like, We've only got so many registrations available to us. You're player 26, you won't leave. <laughs> the 25 players are registered to play. You're not. You're sitting, you're sitting with your, your thumb up your jacksie for six months, and he took the message and, and went away. And um, he was an extremely good footballer. Um, better footballer in my humble opinion than De Jong is so before we even get into the way in which the reporting of De Jong's case has been tilted with all this rubbish about he's not going because they won't pay him his wages or you know they've treated him criminally well, the, the fact is he said from day one I'm not going to Man United and when Chelsea came on the scene thinking I think understandably hey, we've got a bargain here we can nick in, can pay him high wages, we can reverse the tilt that's been happening of important players leaving Chelsea, we can give a, a, an athletic and attacking boost to our midfield, and it can be a win for Todd Bowley, the, the new manager come football director, who's been getting custard pies all summer. Um, and we can give him Champions League and it'll be an easy deal to do. And he said to them, I don't want to go, I don't want to go there either. And to, to sort of finalise, Richard, it's not that your terms that you use in your question 
are, are, are not important things to discuss. The, the, the absolute clear thing is that at the moment, Frankie Dion doesn't want to leave. Not want to leave for a hapless, ill-run, badly-owned Manchester United where the only thing that might persuade him is playing for a coach he once, he once knew. Seems to me to make total sense. You know, Europa League with no guarantee that you'll be playing Champions League with Manchester United. And they say, you know, tick, Frankie, tick. You know, well done, you've done your report card well there. My, my abiding opinion, and I'm not marketing this as fact, is that Frankie Dion is, is complacent, he's comfortable, he's happy with his partner to whom he's proposed, they're getting married, he loves the life. I'm not saying he lives the Dolce Vita, lives badly, but he loves the life in Football Club Barcelona. And from my opinion, he's almost as enchanted with the life in Barcelona and in Catalonia as he is with, you know, there's this brilliant photograph um, by, and it's Pep Montero in Mundo Deportivo during the Gamper presentation of this angry, it looked like something from the Omen, this angry, you know, burrow of, of uh, what, what do you call it when your eyebrows... Furrowed brow. Furrowed brow, thank you, beautiful. It was a, that was, that was spoonerism was courtesy of Ronnie Barker. Um, <laughs> the, staring, you know, intently, trying to make Chabby disappear, I think, as he spoke to the microphone at the Gamper tournament. And... My opinion is that Frankie de Jong, consciously or subconsciously, even with a World Cup campaign coming up with Holland, isn't like, I will show you all, I will win my place. He's like, well, I, I can probably handle six or 12 months of this life, fighting for my place, getting intermittent games, and it'll be fine. But in the meantime, life's good. That's my opinion. But he's within his rights. I don't think it's anything to do with not leaving because Barcelona won't pay his money. I think that if, if, if he were to say, I'm going to Chelsea, I think there'd be an almighty fight about how much Barcelona were willing to compensate him, which, again, I can't emphasise strongly enough, is the case in every transfer. 98% of transfers where a club wants you out and you're leaving against your will, there's hand-to-hand combat of how much will you pay me to go away. Yeah, I think De Jong takes his lead now really from, from Dembele, doesn't he? Dembele's now the patron saint of players who, who, who don't want to leave and are being kicked out. You just stick it in, you just stick in there and if you know that the manager... Um, I mean, frankly, De Jong will, will believe that once the season starts, you know, he'll be back in that midfield, um, competing, albeit with, 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 with Gavi for the, for the third spot, with Pedri and, and Busquets, I think. But he, he'll believe in himself and he'll believe that he'll end up in the team. And Kessie. And Kessie, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for all that, um, uh, for all that in the, on the summer tour, you know, that he was on the bench and when he came on, he was played at centre-half. We know the same tricks were played on, on Dembele during the window, once the window shot. Xavi's not going to not use him um, because Xavi wants to win. Um, it, as for feeling sorry for him, and, and this, you know, Gary Neville saying that he should, you know, seek legal advice and that, I think... The life of a top player, you know, sometimes it goes for you and you meet someone like Joseph Bartomeu and you want to pay me how much? Um, and then, <laughs> you know, and then the next president you're dealing with, you know, it's not it's not so fun, but you're still holding lots of the cards. You've still got a pretty good hand and you've got a contract. And if you don't have to go, any, if you don't want to go anywhere, you don't have to. In terms of the story broken by the Athletic, uh, that was a good story. Um, I don't think Barca have a case. And I think the fact that they've apparently been looking into this for three months tells you that they don't have much of a case. Um, Bartomeu was guilty of, of stitching up Joan Laporta by a couple of weeks before leaving, you know, take, uh, uh, giving a, a longer contract to Frankie de Jong in exchange for him deferring wages in that moment. But 
to be fair to Bartomeu, and we don't, we don't defend him much on here, but Barca couldn't play the wages. They could not pay the wages of the players. The only way out of it was to say to some of the players, look, we can't pay you now. We're going to you defer your money and in return, we'll give you longer contracts. And that's what happened. Um, so I'm not sure that, I, you know, th- this story was broken by the Athletic and I expected the Spanish press to then pick it up, the Catalan press to pick it up and explain it a little bit. But that never really happened. It just got repeated over and over again. Barca think there are reasons to believe that um, the contracts are illegal. Well, why? What, what about them is illegal? We don't really have got. We don't really seem to have got to that point. So I think that will will just blow out, and it just looks like being another of the tactics, uh, you know, um, to to try and make make him leave. But he's 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 stuck in there, and I I know we me and Graham differ on this in terms of what he can give Xavi this season. Let's see. I think Graham is right to point out Kessie, and I didn't mention him, and I think Xavi has been uh, at the forefront of all the new players that have come in. And he hasn't just wanted to bring in um, a certain style of player. He's wanted to toughen the group up. He's wanted a a, a stronger player, both mentally, if you think about Lewandowski's mental strength, and physically in in the case of Kessie. Um, And and I do think he will, Frank Kessie will will play a big part this season. But, you know, they've got a squad of, it looks like Nico's going to leave. So they'll end up with with six uh, to pick three from. You know, that's a great position for for Xavi to be in. Okay, that's it for the first part of this month's Q&A. We'll be back tomorrow with more from Pete and Graham. Thanks to the socios who sent in questions and thank you to you for listening. Bye for now. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.